All right, Parshas Lech Lecha. Let's get started. The story of Avram Avinu, even though his story really starts last week, this is considered to be the beginning of the story of Avram Avinu. So before we get started, I would just would like for us to um, actually go back to Sukkim or three Sukkim into last week's Parsha, into the end of Parsha Snoach, actually two Sukkim, if you don't mind. Uh, 31 and 32. Herman, do you mind reading for us Pasuk 31 and 32 from last week's Parsha? Or the last okay. Week's yeah, all right. Uh, Terach took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, with them. He left Or Kastim heading toward the land of Canaan. They came as Haran and settled there. All of Terach's days were 205 years, and Terach died in Haran. Okay, so here, right away, before we even start, Parshas Lech Lecha, the Torah throws us a little bit of a curveball. We have this narrative in our heads, right, that Hashem comes to Avram, and Hashem is the one who introduces the whole idea of going to Eretz Canaan to Avram. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. Lech lecha as we're going to see, right? He doesn't tell him where he's going. But the fact is, is that it was already Terech's idea to go to Eretz Canaan. And therefore, all Avram was really doing was just completing the trip that his father started. So why then do we think of the voyage to Eretz Canaan as one of Avram's nisyonos, one of Avram's trials? Avram was always meant to go to Eretz Canaan. That was the original plan. They got held up in Haran. They settled there. But why, first of all, why doesn't Terach Lamaisa end up going to Eretz Canaan? Why does Terach settle in Haran? And the second question is, is why does Tara, why does Avram, right, when Avram actually goes to Eretz Canaan, it says, the Mepharshim bring that, what, the, what they're teaching us, Vayamas Tarach Becharan, was that Tarach never even bothered to visit his son in Eretz Canaan. His son actually just had to come back to bury his father, but he never, Tarach never goes to go join his son in Israel, in Eretz Canaan. Even though, ostensibly, this is something that Terach clearly had an ambition to do, to go to Israel, to make Aliyah, he was talking about it. But when his son actually showed an indication to go make Aliyah and to go to Eretz Canaan, Terach doesn't join him. Terach stays in Haran. There there is Haran, is that in like present-day Syria? So that's a good question. I think Haran is on the way from Iraq to Israel. Now, I'm not sure exactly. You know, um, Herman, you have the purple chumash, right? Yes. So in the purple chumash, there should be a map. If you look in the very beginning, in the very beginning of the purple chumash, there should be a, like, a, he has like a, a index or a list of Bible maps or biblical maps. And over there, he has, I believe, Ari Kaplan, I'm looking at a map and um, 
There's Padam Aram. In the land of Padam Aram, there is a city called Quran. Called Quran. So I'm looking over here on uh, the journeys of Abraham on the Bible.history.com. So I, I don't. It, there's some New Testament stuff going on over here also. So, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't show it with regards to uh, modern day. But it looks like Paul. It looks like. It looks like to me. It looks like. Uh, it's a little bit north. It's north of the. It's north. It's northeast of Damascus. Um, let me see. That's right. It follows the Euphrates River. They were going alongside the Euphrates from Ur, Kastim, north to Haran, and then back down south along the Mediterranean. So I just, I, I, I pulled up uh, a map. Um, it looks like, yeah, that it was still in Iraq. That's what it looks like. Okay, well, you know, I'm not sure exactly. So, but he, but we you know, it, but, but, you know, so that's the first interesting question, right? Why Charan's, you know, Tarak seems to be going there. He seems to have an ambition to go there, and yet he stops. The second, the, the, the second thing is that I always found fascinating is who was Tarak? Tarak is this very interesting character that's not really spoken about too much. To me, he's, I think, one of the most interesting, one of the characters I would love to know about the most, in a way. Because in some narratives, he's vilified, Terach. He is an idol worshiper. He gives over his son to be killed. He's this terrible guy. But in the end, it says that Avram buries his father with honor. Avram, you know, maintains his relationship with his father. Even after the story of uh, Orkazdim, they leave and they live together for a long time until Avram is told to leave. And when Avram is told to leave, it's considered to be a big trial for Avram. And Terach goes on living for a very long time until Avram is 135. Terach, Terach lives for a very long time. So who is Terach? And to also say something slightly heretical, but I think something for us to think about, is that there is this very interesting... Um, how to frame it, connection or, or analogy almost between the story of Terach's struggle with Avram, breaking all his idols and what the consequences are of that and the sacrifice of Yitzchak. And the what? And the sacrifice of Yitzchak. Right here, in both situations, there is this father whose son, based on their divine understanding and what they're told, is subject to death. Whether in Avram's case it wasn't punitive, sacrifice is even harder to understand in a way, right? Much harder to understand. And they're, they're both fathers faced with a similar dilemma and they both act in a similar way. Now, one is right and one is wrong, but I think it's impossible to ignore this similarity. So I want to read over here, there's a, there's a Eliezuta. The Eliezuta talks about, he's one of the sources for this story about the breaking of the idols, the famous story of Avram and Tarach, where Avram comes in and breaks all the idols. And in, 
in um, in the story of so the way the El Yazuta brings it, he brings it in a very interesting way. He says there was this whole event. He brings him to Nimrod. Avram has a conversation with Nimrod, and Avram tells him, and he says, "Don't think that you that you rule the world. There's a God." Right, Altatama uh, Bilvacha, don't think in your heart, Kiloa don't haolamata, because you are not the ruler of the world. Benoi shall Kush, you son of Kush, Ata, right, and the same way your father died, the same way you're going to die. Miyad Kara Nimrod the Tarachavev, right away Nimrod calls calls Avram's father Tarach, the Amrlai, and he says, What should I do to your son? He burnt our gods. And he says the only the, the only the only thing to do is to is to burn him right away. Miyad Lakach Nimrod. He threw Avram into 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 prison. He builds this gigantic um, uh, this gigantic wood pile to burn Avram in. Um, and it says over there. So Ali says, So until this point, until all this was happening. The El Yerava says, Terach did not really believe in Hashem until, until this point. So at that point, his neighbors and the members of his city come, and they hit him, and they say to him, How could you be not be embarrassed? This is, this is a terrible shame. You have a son. Who they say on him, Shehu Yoresh Shemayim Va'aretz, that he will inherit heaven and earth. This world and the next world, Sarfai Nimroid, you are you are uh, uh, allowing allowing Nimroid Nimroid to to burn him. Then he says, Miyad Right away, Hashem's mercy uh, was. Awakened by this, Viyarad Vaatzmai Hashem came down, Vihetzilo, and he saved him. And then Amar Tarach Bolibai Tarach says in his heart, Shema Yamdu Viyarhargoi Asbini Miyad. Maybe they are now going to murder my son. Amar Tarach Viyatzim Misham Im Avram Benai. Right away, Tarach goes and he leaves with Avram. He takes Avram out. Vayikach Tarach as Avram Benai Vasoi. And they go lalaches arzakinah, and it says that ubeschar sheyatzim misham tarach, and because of the great merit that tarach left right away with Avram, he he merited to see Avram's greatness in his lifetime, and um, and and uh, uh, this was a reward for him getting Avram out of there as soon as possible. This Ali Rab is very strange because. What happens over here? You have Nimrod. Nimrod condemns Avram to death. Then the people see this and they yell at Terach. Now, it's not clear why they yell at Terach. This wasn't Terach's idea. But then after they yell at Terach, we don't see any change on Terach's part. For some reason, it's this yelling at Terach that this is your son who is going to inherit heaven and earth the Olam Haba and Olam Hazan, sorry, this world and the next, that that is what awakens HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy on Avram. Not Avram's sacrifice, 
But it seems that according to the Ali Rabbah, it's this specific conversation. And then Hashem saves him. And then Terach fears for his well-being and takes him out. What's going on over here? There's an important idea for us to recognize. I think, Paul, you brought this up to me when, when, we, were, when we were walking um, uh, on the second day of uh, Rosh Hashanah, that why do we think of Avram as the first monotheist? He wasn't. There was Shem, there was Aver, there were the children of Noah, you know, Malki Tzedek, if he was Shem or not, who we bump into later in the Parsha, he was Kohen, L'El Elyon, I mean, he was... He wasn't Avram. He was a Kohen. He was somebody who was doing the, the Avodah. He was this holy person. Why is it Avram that gets all the press? Avram is seen as he's this first Jew. He's, you know, first the monotheist, the father, you know, the, the Abrahamic religions. All this, everything is Avram. And what's fascinating is that despite the fact that Avram, in a way, is our most universalistic ancestor in the sense that he is Av Hamon Gayim. He is a, not just the ancestor of the Jewish people, you know, forget by blood, he also has the Arabs and, you know, Esau and everybody else. But Avram is considered to be a, uh, a uh, universal character from a Jewish perspective. Yet, how do we, when someone converts, we call them a Ben Avraham or a Basara. The two people who, in a way, are the least Jewish of all of our ancestors. In addition, when it talks about what are the Midos that every single Jew is supposed to have, these are the Midos Shal Avram Avinu, of Rachmanim, Baishanim, V'Goyim Lechasad. Merciful, with a sense of shame and kindness. Those are the Midos of Avram Avinu. In addition, when we talk about what was Avram Avinu's midah, what was his trait, it wasn't religion, right? It says, the world survives based on three things. The world needs three things. And each one of these three things is represented by a different forefather. Uh, Yaakov is Torah, Yitzchak is Avodah, and Avraham is Chesed. It's Chesed. Chesed is something which is universal. Everybody is expected to do chesed. Chesed is not a Jewish thing. Chesed is demanded of everybody. Hashem created the world for chesed. Why is it that Avram is considered to be the first Jew, the founder of Judaism? I mean, other people think he founded other things. But who is Avram? And the answer, I think, one of the core principles of Avram lies in this, in this, in this El Yorav. The idea behind Avram was that he was public about his Judaism. He was public about his faith. Malki Tzedek Shane, they sat in yeshiva, they sat in their little Beis HaMikdash, bringing karbanas. Either you, either you went to them or you didn't go to them. But they never came to you. That wasn't the story with Avram. Avram, from the very beginning, from when he's three years old, he's trying to engage with the people around him to bring this 
epiphany that he has to them. Avram doesn't have revelation. Avram is somebody who goes with his own intellect and he achieves a certain epiphany and once he has it, he doesn't keep it to himself. He engages with the world. And it is this awareness and the respect he garners that causes everybody to recognize that here is somebody special. And that is why it is at this moment Hashem saves him because there are plenty of martyrs in Jewish history. There are plenty of people who died righteous and special. Avram's death would not have been new. But what Hashem saw with regards to Avram, that here was not simply a righteous person. Here was somebody who had the ability to impress on a pagan world on his other people. Remember, he was a child at this point. But still, he had the ability to, to impress upon them a certain truth, a certain message. And whether or not they agreed with him, whether or not they thought he was right, it doesn't sound like in uh, or caused them, the vast majority of them became, you know, Ha-Nafashos Asher Asu Avram. It sounds like those only happen in Chara, not in Orkaz. But at that point, he recognized, they, they, he, he, they, they Hashem sees this is somebody special. This is somebody who is able to share this with the world and is able to bring up the world. And that is why Avram is the one who we look at as the first Jew. Because it's not the role of a Jew to hide in a closet and to do what he does there and ignore the world around him. Ultimately, it is the role of a Jew and the job of a Jew to lift up everybody and to bring up everybody. Yep. Herman, yeah? Uh, one thing that I always think about around this time, reading this, is the one person who was the mother of Abraham, the hand that rocks the cradle. Who is this woman, Emma Tali, or whatever name that they gave her? She's not in the Torah at all. But she is written about in other situations as the wife of Terach mm-hmm. and confronting Terach to save Avraham. Ah, so there, so that, so they, so they say that that she saved Avraham. I've never, I've never seen this, but but I'll uh, look around for it, Herman. Thank you. I think it's in the uh, like the Sefer Hayashar, one of those. Okay, I'll take a look. I'll take a look. Um, so yeah, that, that's a good point. We don't, we don't see her mentioned. Yeah. And even Terach is barely mentioned in the Torah a couple of lines. And what's interesting is that Terach, according to Eliezer, he all of a sudden, he looks at his son in a new way. He realizes that everything he believed until that point, you know, it's very often, you know, the shoemaker's kids don't have shoes, right? Avram was able to convince everybody except for his own father. His own father, okay, this is my son's obsession. When's he going to get a real job? Right, when's he, when's he <laughs> finally do what he's supposed to do? And I have to say, in my, in my, in my mind's eye, I kind of see my father grimacing at this. But, you know, I think so, you know, that's, you know, the hardest, the hardest person to, to convince of your mission is, you know, uh, your own father or, or, or mother, depending on the case, right? And, and it's at that moment when Terach turns around and sees something. He sees all, all these people, all these people who believed in idols, in nothing, are all of a sudden, at this moment, coming to me, the one who should know my son best of all, 
and telling me, hey, you idiot. I mean, look at this kid. Look what he's able to do. Look at his potential. How could you allow this to happen to him? How could you not have fought against Tarach? And all of a sudden, Tarach realizes, against Nimrod, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, Tarach realizes, oh God, oh no. And at that moment, he gets out of, he gets out of Khar. And the Nitziv writes a fascinating thing. He says, why does Tarach go to Canaan? Why is Tarach on his way to, to Canaan? Because Tarach realizes, and Avram has, that they already have this intuition that there's something special about Eretz Yisrael. There's already something there that they know that there's something special about it. And Tarach wants to take his son to a place where he could accomplish his potential. What is it that he leaves, uh, that Avram, Avram leaves, um, what does he say? So, so that's Tarach has died already. No, right. so actually, so that's they saw all the commentar all the commentaries talk about it. If you do the math, it turns out that Tarach does not actually die until many, many, many years later. And in fact, much later in the Chumash, it's actually talked about the death of Tarach. He again, because he doesn't actually die until I think Avram is 130 years old. Uh, the reason why it says Vayamas Tarach uh is is to make a point, is that Terach's entire spiritual journey, even after recognizing his son, ends in Chara. He doesn't follow his son to Eretz Yisrael. He doesn't really appreciate who his son is fully. And while he does that, and, and the Sfarna says a very scary thing, he says, he says why, why does Terach not end up in Canaan? He wants to go. He says, that's not how Eretz Yisrael works. You don't get to go to Eretz Yisrael unless you're going for one reason and one reason only, because you want to have Kedusha Sa'aret. And only then could you really go and experience Eretz Yisrael. And Tarach doesn't have that motivation. He, he believes in Avram, he saves Avram, he, he becomes Avram's father, really, after, after Or Kazdim. Uh, the Nitziv writes that really, you know, he, he has to manage all of Avram's affairs until that point. That Avram is actually... Um, a uh, you know not super capable until much later in life, and it really Tarach arranges for his voyage, arranges for everything, and Tarach really takes care of him. He's seventy five, right? When he leaves, yeah, he's seventy five. I mean, he's, he's he, you know he's been living at home for a while, right? So maybe you can understand why Tarach doesn't follow him. He's like you know you know enough enough is enough, right? Not a good morning, kid. <laughs> right, but he says Avraham. So, but you know, Avram, Avram goes and he leaves his father. And there's and and Tarach, You know, if you think about what we say in uh, in in the in the Bikurim and also in the Haggadah, we say Mitchila Ovdeavo Dezara Hayavo. Seinu Tarach Avi Avram. Right. We mentioned Tarach as the father of Avram. That in a way, right, uh, to, right, to show that you know he was a you know he was a. Uh, Oved Avodazara, and we rose from there. But it's important that Tarach, whenever we talk about this formula of we start with Gnai and go to Shvach, it's not simply about looking how far we came. It's to show that even in the Gnai, even in the negative parts, lies the strength of our growth. Tarach had character. Tarach had certain strengths that Avram took from him. And it's important to realize Avram wasn't hatched in a lab. Avram was the son of Terach. 
And Avram, a lot of what Avram was able to accomplish came because he was the son of Terah. He had the strength of Terah. And when we think about the Akedah, when we think about the conviction, and when we think about the ability to do the right thing, and the love Avram has for his own children, with the pain he endures, with Tishmal and everything, things come from Terah. And and, and, and we don't know how much of Avram we can attribute to Tarek. But Tarek, Tarek is not a non-entity. Tarek well, is very much part of the DNA of the Jewish people. Yeah. With all these you know, very, very brief passing references to Tarek, there's hardly anything said. So what is the, uh, the source of all the, this extra information about him? That's a good question. So the source is Medrash, pretty much, right? It's, 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 it's Medrash. Now, where does Medrash come from? So the, where, where Medrash comes from, it's part of the oral, oral uh, tradition. The oral tradition, according to, you know, your sources, it was given at Sinai. So there's this idea that there was, there was this oral tradition coming down from Moshe already that stayed. Now, exactly what is the philosophy on Medrash, meaning... How much, how much of, you know, how, how much could you run with the historicity of these events, meaning to say that all this actually happened or it was, you know, they're trying to break something out with the story? It's a good question. You know, I think that there are different schools of thought on how to learn Medrash exactly, right? Meaning to say, did these stories all necessarily actually happen or not? But what is important is that whether or not However you approach it, what the Medrash is, is, is trying to teach us something. It's trying to, whether they're framing it in context of Tarek or not, but there is a, there's an important lesson to be had here about, you know, some value that the Medrash is trying to uh, impart to help us derive from this, from, this, from this story. Now, I can try to find you some sources about the different approaches to, to Medrash. There is a wide range. Some people say that, we don't have to take Madrash. No, med, that, no, many Madrash we definitely shouldn't be taking literally. But how about the ones that seem to say a story? Do we take those literally or not? And some take a hard line that you have to say every single story actually happened. Other people say that, you know, you don't necessarily have to approach it that way. But that has to do with, with the general question of how to learn Madrash. But as far as what we should be taking from Madrash, right? That is what the Medrash is trying to teach us something. So these lessons are genuine, even if the story is not necessarily historical. Okay, so the so so now let us go into into Lech Lecha. Paul, do you mind starting from from the beginning of Lech Lecha? Hashem said to Avram, go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So Avram went to Hashem, went as Hashem had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Okay. Uh, sorry, Paul, Paul. So, 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 so let's take a break there for a second. Okay. So we start off, this is the first test. Now, I don't think anybody has ever had such an easy test in their entire life. I mean, if you think about it, God comes to you and God says, Hey, 
Go uh, go leave your leave your town, leave Kharan. I will give you money, I will give you honor, I will give you children. Remember, this is a man who's 75 years old who was still struggling with the pain of not having any children. I will give you everything. Go to this land and everything will be good for you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, to me, that sounds like a, like a dream come true. I mean, this is ideal, right? There is no better prediction. Hashem, Hashem is promising you. And in fact, it's written, right, that anything good Hashem says, he can't take back. Right, Hashem, it's a, it's a Gemara and Brachos, uh, which we're actually going to cover in the in the Talmud um, uh, initiative. Oh, actually, tonight. But it's it's all relevant, uh, you know that that Hashem doesn't take back good things. So so why is this a test? This is considered to be either the first test or the second test of Avram, depending on how you count. Some people say it's the third test of Avram, but but why is this such a big test? And and. I heard an explanation once from, from one of my Rebbeim that, that is still something which I think about a lot. Avram was a man with a mission, right? We see this from, you know, from, from what we saw, said, said earlier. I mean, this is somebody who is spreading awareness of Hashem. Somebody who is engaged. This is his meaning. His meaning is teaching. His meaning is reaching out to people. His meaning is being able to engage with people. This is Avram's meaning. To the extent that Avram, three days after he has a bris milah, on a scorching hot day, sits outside looking for guests. This is Avram. Avram's entire, entire sense of self, an entire sense of mission is wrapped up in teaching Torah, in teaching, in, 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 in being an uh, influencer. <laughs> and, and, but seriously, because, you know, and what's fascinating about Avram is that, you know, who would you think is the outreach character, right? It's the one whose main attribute is Torah. He wants to teach Torah. Yitzchak, he's so holy. It's not. It's Avram. It's Chesed. It's the person who just wants to give to people. Avram truly, and that's why he's successful, because if he just wanted to, to teach Torah, he wouldn't be successful. Avram is a person who cares about everybody. He's, he's an ish chesed. He wants to be, he wants to engage. And all of a sudden, at the age of 75, after he builds this entire community of, of, of people who are growing with it, right? To the extent that it's, 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 it's as if they were reborn, born again, right? Born again Haranites, right? These, this whole group of people. Sounds super uh, uh, evangelical, I know. But, but you know, Avram, Avram is this... Is this is this, he is super successful, so much meaning in his life, all of a sudden Hashem comes and shatters it for him. And says, leave. Lech lecha, me'artzacha, u'miladcha, me'isavicha, el'artasha, I'll show you where you have to go. But your mission has changed. And if you look at the promises that Hashem gives him, none of them are really meaningful on their face to a man of faith. I'll make you into a great nation. Okay, he'll have children. Okay, it's kishmak. I mean, he wants children. It's a bracha. But, but Hashem doesn't say, you will be influencing people, you will be teaching people. No. I'll make you famous. You will be a source of blessing. Everybody will know you. I'll give you fame. I'll give you money. I'll give you children. Everything. But it doesn't say anything about 
I will, I will, I will, I will enable you to keep teaching Torah. Abram's entire mission is all of a sudden changed, and there, and his whole sense of self is challenged. And if you think about it, for a person that's 75 who devoted their entire life, who was sent to the flames for this when he was a child, who then had to leave and set up a new life and grew up here, and he has all of a sudden he's being told, this is not your life anymore. That is something which is very difficult. To be able to change your mission like that. To recognize that ultimately my mission is not what feels right or good to me. But my mission is what Hashem wants me to do. And for Avram, it was in a sense easier than, than it is for us. Because he got the comfort of a lech lecha, Of Hashem making it very, very clear to him. This mission is over. It's time to start something new. But for us, it's a tremendous challenge. When we're doing something that feels meaningful, and then all of a sudden we have other pressures pushing us to go leave and do something that on its surface doesn't feel like this, then we're caught in this trap of lechlecha. What do we do? And people would say, no, you have to follow your calling. You have to follow your calling. I don't know. It's not so clear. It's not so clear. Okay. So then they leave, they go, they go to, they go to um, uh, Eretz Canaan. And what's interesting is that, is that Hashem tells him to go and light comes along with him. Light is his adopted, you know, his nephew, he feels very close to him. Light comes and um, they take the Nefashos, they take everybody and they, Says Vayetsu, they leave Laleches Artsakinan to go to Eretz Kinan, Vayavayu Artsakinan, and they come to Eretz Kinan. So there's a there's a there's a uh, discussion over here, right? Is that what does it mean Vayetsu that they left to go to Eretz Kinan, and then Vayavayu Eretz Kinan? Why does it have to repeat the same thing twice? So the Sfarna says that it's coming to say two things. The first is, is that they recognized, that they recognized that why the place that they were in, Avram appreciated why that was not the right place for him to be. And the second thing is, is that he acted on it. Many of us talk a lot about Aliyah. I talk a lot about the beauty of Eretz Yisrael or going to Eretz Yisrael or whatever it is. But not a lot of us, uh, you know, but there are many of us who, for many of us, for very good reasons, right? But, you know, some of us, for not necessarily amazing reasons, don't act on it. And that's Terach. Terach is the person who says his whole life, oh, it's so amazing to make Aliyah while, you know, you know, he doesn't act on it or doesn't even contemplate it, right? Uh, then there's Avram, who says and does. I am, unfortunately, a Terach, but... but but there, you know, this is something which is, you know, with, with this, this is this is what the, what the Torah is pointing out. Okay, let's just read a, a few more verses. Um, uh, Vora, do you mind reading from Paul? You stopped at at six. Where do you stop? Yeah, I stopped um, at five. Okay. Um, so start at six, and yeah. run past to the land, unto the place of Shrem, unto the terebinth of Moreh. 
and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And he built there an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he built there an altar unto the Lord and called unto the name of the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass, when he came near to enter Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. And it will come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but thee they will keep alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul may live because of thee. Okay, so, so let's pause for a second. So um, we're now, right, we're getting into the story of uh, Avram and Sarah, a very, very difficult story, right? One where Avram acts in a way that is very, very hard for us to be able to justify. And in fact, the uh, Ramban faults him for it, where he tells Sarah to lie in order for him to be saved so that, so that, so that he shouldn't die if she says he's a sister. And what happens is, as we know, this doesn't work. Paray, Paray takes her and uh, Paray is punished. And then Paray, uh, after Paray recognizes what's going on and uh, who he's dealing with, Avram, Paray gives Avram all these gifts and money and everything is good and Avram leaves happily ever after. What's difficult, I mean, not what's difficult, but one of the difficulties is that Avram tries this trick more than, more than once, and then Yitzhak tries it. And this, this is not a good strategy. It doesn't work for them, right? And each time, you know, it ends badly for them. And uh, so the question is, you know, why, why, what's happening over here? And the second question is, is why does Avram go down to Mitzrayim? I mean, Hashem tells him, to go to Canaan, so he should be in Canaan. So there's a hunger in the land. I hear, but Hashem told him to go live in Canaan. You know, what, why is he going? Hashem never says go down to Mitzrayim. Avram goes by his own by his own initiative, and in fact, the Ramban writes that this was a sin actually, and this is why the whole story of Sarah happened was because Avram didn't have the faith he was supposed to have and stay in Mitzrayim. Sorry, stay in Canaan. But other commentaries say that, that he was supposed to uh, uh, go down to Mitzrayim. So what's happening, right? Why, why, what's happening over here? So there's, so, you know, you can't explain the unexplainable to some extent, right? That there's, Avram is, if he's fearful for, for his life, he thinks this strategy is going to work, that, you know, even if something, you know, that maybe, you know, this would have happened anyways, at least this way he's alive, or maybe if he's her brother and they honor him, there's other Mepharshim that say that if he says he's her brother and they start courting her and giving him lots of presents, it will give him the ability to say no. He never thought that Para would go after Sarah. I mean, he thought that some Egyptians would go after him, and since he's her brother, they would have to go about traditional Middle Eastern courtship where they have to promise him all sorts of camels and stuff. So, so you know, he, he would be able to delay because he wasn't planning on being there for a long time because it says uh lagor sham he is the, 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 the say he just wanted to, to wait out the hunger a little bit 
But, and you know, whether or not this strategy was uh, successful, but whatever it is, it fails very badly, right? Pari goes, Pari takes her, and then Pari gives him gifts and Avram accepts them. Now, this is very hard to understand because later, if you remember, when Avram meets the king of Stoim, and the king of Stoim promises Avram, offers Avram all the uh, wealth of Stoim after Avram saves him during the battle of the four kings, Avram says no. Avram says, I don't want people to say that I don't want you to be able to say that I was the one who made Avram wealthy. Hashem promised me wealth, let, let Hashem give it to me. But if you think about it, Avram, it's much, you know, getting the wealth from the king of stone was much more justified than getting the wealth from Paroi the wife snatcher, right? Because Paroi, right, was just literally paying him off. It was giving him money because, you know, this, this is a scary guy and whatever. And, and Avram, if anything, Avram, what, what Avram got from Paroi was a real gift. As opposed to with the king of stone, I mean, Avram owned him. Avram fought the kings, captured everything. Avram owned the king of stone. Especially, you know, for, the, for, for that time, it would have not been beyond the pale for Avram to simply enslave him. So Avram taking money from the king of stone would have been much more of a justifiable prospect than Avram taking money from Parai. So they say there are, there are different explanations given. One explanation given is that there was a difference between the king of stone and, and, and Parai was that Parai, as a king, Avram owed him respect. And to uh, refuse the gift of a king is disrespectful. The king of stone was not a king at that point. I mean, he was a king without a crown. He didn't have anything. So for him to take, for Avram had no obligation to, uh, and to take a gift from him and didn't owe him any uh, respect. The other approach is that Avram at this point was very, very poor. And for Avram, so Avram had debts, he had people he had to feed. So there was no mitzvah in staying poor and not taking a gift from Pari. At the point when Avram met the king of Stone, Avram already was reasonably well off and comfortable. So taking money from the king of Stone would have been, it just would have been accumulating wealth. And that Avram didn't want to do. He felt that if he was going to have any excess wealth, it had to be seen as coming to him directly from God. This he didn't, this, you know, charity he was willing to take. There was no honor in it. But excess wealth, that was something he didn't want to have given to him. That's, that, uh, that's one explanation. I, I, I just want to say one, one final thing about the end of the Parsha with uh, Brismila. That there's this very interesting story that happens at the end of the Parsha, which is alluded to in Madrash, and it's more really about next week's Parsha. But it's about what happens when Hashem commands Avram to make a brismila. And it says that Avram goes to his friend Mamre, and Hashem, and, and it says he was nital eitzah eitzah Mamre, that he asked Mamre what to do. And if you think about it, it's a very strange thing. I mean, Hashem commanded him to make a brismila. What's he going to ask Mamre? It's the very, very end, end, very end of the parsha. So what's he going to ask Mamre what to do? So the Mepharshim explained, the Rashi says that he was asking him about whether or not to make it into a public affair or a private affair. And Mamre and Mamre told him, make it as public as possible. And Avram's concern was, was that at that time, the mitzvah of Rismila was not something that people in that area would be able to appreciate. It was something that was a weird thing to do. 
And yet, Avram, and Avram at that point, he was trying to teach Torah to the public, and he wasn't necessarily felt that he had to go do a weird thing in public. Would this necessarily bring people closer to Hashem or not? It wasn't clear. Right? Brisbilu is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult mitzvah. Definitely to explain to people who've never ever heard of it before. It seems almost barbaric. It's a very difficult thing. And Mamre said to him, Mamre said to him, Mamre said, no. He said, a Jew has to live without embarrassment by, by what he stands for. And therefore, Mamre said, you're going to do it, you're going to do it publicly, and you're going to do it on my property. Right? That's why it says, Vayera Hashem Elav Be'elonei Mamre, in the next passage. Right? It says that this was a reward to Mamre that there was a revelation in his, in his, in his property to show that Mamre was, was Mamre caused, Mamre brought about a revelation of Hashem by demanding that Avram does this mitzvah publicly and not be afraid of anybody and not care what people thought about it. And therefore, since Mamre publicized the name of Hashem in this way, Hashem went and then did a real Isgalos in this place and he becomes immortalized in the, in the Torah this way. And it doesn't say that Mamre even got a bris, by the way. Ma- Mamre, in many ways, is like my, I, so I have a great uncle who's not religious at all, but likes very much when other people are religious. Um, so, you know, in, 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 we have many interactions with him, but when my father became religious, when I was talking about staying in yeshiva for, for a while after high school, this great uncle of mine who lives in Moscow, who uh, is living with a very devout Catholic woman, or not Catholic, Russian Orthodox woman, was the one who was fighting in tooth and nail and yelling out, you have to learn Torah your whole life, whatever. So I, I always think of him as a mamre. You know, he, he, he fights the good fight for other people. For himself, he satisfies himself with the fact that he tells me he does, he, he does Jewish hygiene because he found an English Mishnah Brewer one time in my grandparents' house and happened to open up to the area about uh, washing your hands. So he now washes Nagelba. He and his wife, they wash the three times every morning after they use the bathroom. They do Jewish hygiene because it's important to follow Jewish hygiene. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, what happened if he got the one about Shabbos? What would he be doing? I don't know, but uh, that's, what he, that's what he does. He's a, he's a memory character. But, all right. Okay, so we'll stop here. Wait. If anybody has any questions, please, or comments, please, please, or contributions, please tell me. Where-